RPS powered by Seth. Hello and welcome to the weekly review on RPS. Today we'll be talking about something as young and modern as a TikTok revolution, as well as something as precious and aged as a barrel of single malt whiskey. Bob Dylan's new album. And in between, we'll see how traumas and mental fragility have been portrayed in two of streaming platforms' current and popular shows, I Know This Much Is True and The Sinner. My name's Johan Wald. By my side, the man who knows a thing or two about reviews, Ben Cardew. Hello, how are you doing? Very well. Behind the glass window, looking good in black, the tech with dark specs, David Camilleri. And joining us today is Mar Baiverdu, who's finishing her degrees in journalism and humanities and may offer us an insight into the Generation Z overview, shall we say, or worldview. Hi, how are you doing? Welcome, Mar. Now, one would think that two professional social commentators would be all up in TikTok, but I'm afraid I live under a rock under quarantine and I don't have TikTok, which seems to be all the rage. So since we're going to talk about it, how about we launch with this? I'm going back to the south. I'm going back, 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 back when my roots ain't watered down. Growing, growing like a baobab tree of life on fertile ground. My ancestor put me on game. Honk charm on gold chains with my own shoon energy. Drip all on me. Uncle, I just should keep it. Holla, don't I? like such a non-chopper instant. Yeah, pure ice, 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 ice. Bust down. Flood it, flood it, flood it. For my wrist. Chit chat, sisters on the wall, let the ghost chit chat. Hold my hands, we gon' pray together. Lay it down, face down in the gravel. 
from Mama Tina. Ooh. Need another march, let me call Tamika. Need peace and reparation for my people. Ooh. Fuck these ladies, just I'ma let it trip all up. Fuck this pain and ways, I'ma let it dread all up. Get your fist up in the air, show black love. Motherland drip on me, motherland, motherland drip on me. Honey, come around my way, around my was Queen Bee with a song that she'd released on Juneteenth, June 19th, which is a historical date in black and African-American history because it was uh, original, the original date of emancipation when um, slaves were freed in the United States. And uh, every year that is a special date in the calendar. Beyonce has decided to release that track and all benefits from the, for all profits made will be directed to uh, NGOs, which are regarding... Um, uh, They're going to her Bay Good Black Business Impact Fund. Thank you, Ben. I, knew, I, I couldn't memorise that whole... <laughs> <laughs> There's so many charities. So Damn, many charities. it's a song. Damn, it's a song. But it's a great way to open because we're, we're, gonna be, we're, we're opening the show speaking about something related to Juneteenth, uh, something unexpected, and it's been kind of a very um, hopeful news. Um, we never thought we'd witness how... Uh, the TikTok generation or Generation Z would have would take would be so organized that they would be able to troll uh, the actual president of the United States in the first rally he was going to hold and his uh, presidential campaign in Oklahoma. Ben, have you got the score on what's happened? All right, so this is a rather wonderful news story. I'm sure you've you've heard of it by now. Uh, basically, Donald Trump was holding a rally in Tulsa, the first one for his uh, presidential campaign. Uh, he was getting really excited about it, really wanted it to be full. He claimed millions of people had registered for tickets. And it was all part of a vast trolling experience by K-pop fans and TikTok users who claimed tickets and then did not go. It was a 19,000 capacity venue. They arranged an overspill uh, stage outside for all the extra people they thought were going to be there. Uh, and 6,900 people turned up, according to the Tulsa Fire Police. And there were... Uh, pictures everywhere of uh, very empty seats. Sorry, I was just put off by the fact I said fire police, which is a very strange thing. <laughs> fire police. Fire department. 
<laughs> I mean, uh, I saw the video of a, a TikTok user who isn't really a teenager or Generation Z. She's, I think she's of our generation, but she had experience working on political campaigns. So she recommended activists to get tickets. Uh, they were free, but you had to register and then not show up. Right. And then another user asked the BTS army to use their considerable clout to spread the word and, and act upon these simple instructions. Now, remember, the BTS army is a very powerful online army, right? Well, they're not just fans who go crazy for these uh, extremely good-looking, mannequin-looking <laughs> boys. Uh, they, they, you know, remember when BTS donated $1 million to support Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, it, two days later, the BTS fan-based charity fundraising group, One In an Army, helped raise another $1 million for the cause. So that, you know, they have this immediate power. They're incredibly organized. And uh, in... You know, I've grown up seeing uh, pop fandom all over and usually uh, pop music is full of false idols. But it's inspiring to see how a global dominating force such as BTS is capable of getting so many fans to pledge for real good causes. I mean, this, is, this isn't the first time they, they've managed to raise... Uh, I remember there was a story about how b fans would always, are always sending gifts to BTS mm -hmm. and they, w they ordered fans to stop buying gifts and instead use money to donate to charities of their choice or of their recommendation and since they've done all kinds of wonderful stuff to well yeah to to raise awareness and, and actual money for for good charities it just so happens this week i've been talking uh about uh k-pop well i've been writing about k-pop and the way in which armies work and the way in which k-pop promotion works and bts are known for having this army of translators did you know this that basically whenever anyone in bts puts out like a tweet uh, there are organised groups of BTS translators who will get together and they'll work out who's going to do what. They work shifts. They have like proper meetings, well, online meetings to work out who's going to translate what. And free. They're not. They're not employed in any particular way. So basically, K-pop bands have these massive um, fan bases that are very well organised and often coordinate themselves. Like you know, those are big campaigns to get BTS to number one yes. in the United States a few years ago, mm -hmm. um, which is great. But they have basically now. This is. Not the first time maybe they're using their, their powers for good, but this is a real direct sort of political activation and on TikTok too. Um, I want to ask Ma, right, Ma, so yeah. you are some degree uh, <laughs> younger than us, which we're going to be getting onto later. And you were saying that you um, have been uh, in the lockdown. You've been on TikTok a lot. I've been on TikTok. This lockdown period has been my downfall in TikTok, like hours and hours on end, I, I spent on that app. And I actually discovered like a much bigger um, thing than I expected. I expected seeing people then seeing people doing jokes, but I discovered this political part of the uh, algorithm and I learned things by staying on that app. And I'm like super um, hopeful for the future, thanks to seeing these young people younger than me even and um, teaching me things and I what kind of things in the political section like this um, last few days it's been all about um, Black Lives Matter and all of that, that stuff going on in the United States and then internationally and lots of um, TikToks of um, young people explaining why we should defund the police and um, why defunding the police doesn't mean people are out of securities on the street. Why, um, what would change if we um, 
put less security, like why black people are more often killed in the United States because their neighborhoods are more over-policed and that's why um, they are more people being like arrested or even shot because mm, white neighborhoods don't have this kind of um, policing. So um, all this kind of stuff that I would maybe know superficially, but I got super deep into it with videos that are maximum 60 seconds. I got um, super good and structured information. That's what really surprises me because in a in a 60 second video, I mean, something you know, the issue of defunding the police is a very complicated one. But you're saying in 60 second videos, they can go very, it sounds like they go very mm -hmm. deep into it, right? Yeah, yeah, they go very deep. They explain why um, police is a uh, structurally racist um, institution and why it should be um, dismantled to build another kind of institution that isn't based on racism and um, to. It cannot, we cannot change it if, um, within what we have now because it's intrinsically racist and all this stuff that it's just opening my eyes and giving me hope and at the same time losing it because I think that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the millennial in you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she's not like well. She's she's in between two waters, just like we're in the sort of Gen Gen X, but a little bit millennial. Uh, Mar has that predicament, but. Uh, you know, one thing that uh, uh, one of the close um, people within the, the BTS organization says is the takeaway from K-pop's fans' recent successes isn't necessarily the power of K-pop fandom, but the power of young people. What I see here is, as you say, Mar, the, the capacity to di um, digest all the information to get to the point you know, the important point is dismantling uh, systemic racism, right? And the way that they are communicating amongst each other with TikTok, sometimes with the aid of music, sometimes with the aid of uh, humor, shall we say, is very effective. And it's empowering because controlling information and controlling the platforms is all you really need. You don't need the money. You don't need the, the backing of some big corporation. You know, these are young kids which, with their love of, in this case, the, the love of uh, BTS, <laughs> they are managing to do all these things on the side. Do you have a? Are you a fan of any any band or any? Are you um? Have you ever been a screaming fan of any musical? Band? Mm, I ha I didn't have my like One Direction phase that I <laughs> I should have had because I'm in the um, era of um, One Direction, <laughs> but. Um, I would love to get into K-pop just to be a part of this big movement that is doing all of this and being part of a community that I agree with and I, like I do like K-pop but it's it's a lot of dedication like you have to be a special kind of person to put that much effort into translating stuff or mm -hmm. um, sending like a billion fan cams to a, an app, a Dallas Police app that they had to like um, uh, the Dallas Police made an app to so people could report protesters and um, for the Black Lives Matter community and like yeah you can record them it's anonymous and um, we would we can arrest them so and k-pop fans just flooded the app with fan cams which is like videos of k-pop um, music groups um, and and they had to shut down the app so i want to be part of that like i i i maybe become a k-popper <laughs> coming soon well I, again when i was writing about k-pop i spoke to someone about it and she told me it's called the k-pop rabbit hole there's so much information about each and every k-pop act that it's it, almost impossible like fan 
footage, uh, their footage, because K-pop acts, she said, um, basically, they record loads of things. So, like, you know, obviously they have all their official releases, but then they'll, like, do a video of their dance routines, and their dance training, and that kind of thing. And there's just so much, it's almost impossible to... Like be a K-pop fan, if you see what I mean, you have to be like, okay, yeah. I'm a BTS fan mm. or I'm a Blackpink fan. Funnily enough, I'm, my my daughter's a Blackpink fan, and they were coming to Barcelona. I was like, well, maybe we'll go and see. We looked up tickets, and it was like three hundred euros. So. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and maybe there's no way you can even get them. Like people like stay there for hours, and in seconds they just go, and it's impossible to get them. Like it, it, they are super organized. They are. Uh, I want them to rule the country to see how it works because I think it would be a very successful country if a TikTok army ruled it. That was, that's an, that's oh. a revolutionary idea which I don't think <laughs> is totally try. bad. Like having we can try an, an island or something to see how it goes. Well, wait, or maybe <laughs> just maybe have a little representation in Congress. You know, yeah. Let's start, you know, dismantling the old ways by penetrating the old ways. You know, Me the, and my friend, old... we always used to talk about how we could go and set up our own country and basically it involved going and taking over an island that no one lived in that no one cared about. You know, and then just I think you have to have get your own official money. You have to base. Uh, there's various ways in which you I don't. I think win. Jeffrey Epstein's island is up for sale for a bargain, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it has an airport, a hel- helicopter port. <laughs> oh sorry. God! Um, but speak. Sorry, but continuing with TikTok, I love that article you forward be- oh. forwarded Ben about what Generation uh, Z <laughs> thinks of Generation mille- of the Millennials, and it was it's hilarious. Just sort of. Yeah, obviously it's it's for Vice, so it was a uh, it was just very it was very candid, but I mean there's some takeaway phrases from that that should, that could be engraved in stone. So I wanted to take it back one step, if I may, because I think mm-hmm. basically the 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 thinking behind that article, the inspiration came from comments on mm-hmm. TikTok, right, where there are people in Generation Z talking about <laughs> millennials and their obsession with Harry Potter houses <laughs> and uh, avocado and things like that. Um, Mark, you said you'd seen these kind of comments, right? Yeah, I used to be like, yeah, I, I'm a millennial. I was born in 1997, so I kind of am part of a millennial era. Um, but because, And then I could make fun of boomers and and all this kind of stuff but now it's turning to making fun of millennials so i'm not no 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 no. i i never said i was a millennial i'm gentle i'm gentle i can i want to make fun of the other people not people making fun of me but it's super funny seeing like how they um make fun of yeah i'm a girl boss i love gentrification i love uh, blah 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 i love harry potter and having coffee in the morning and it's like it's so accurate i, I don't want to be part of that i'm you see, the, my boomer take on all this is if mil, if mil, the millennial generation or the relationship with social media, you know, millennials have done very good, uh, have made strong advances for society using social media, right? Take the Me Too movement, the Time's Up, all that can be attributed to the millennial the millennials' use of Twitter, of uh, of Instagram posts, but it's also overbearingly narcissist right the, mm. it, it always seems like a draw to attention to me 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 look how great i am i'm an activist and stuff whereas generation z is all about never mind me let's just go to the to the issues at hand right this is uh, something that could be compared to how tiktok is being used even though there is a little bit of narcissism in tiktok right there is a little yeah, bit yeah, of, yeah, of course. showing yes. off and and being silly and doing your remix of your own identity it seems to be more about creating a community and creating a shared experience, be it dancing to a BTS song or making a, 
a simple plan song from the early 2000s, uh, Trendy Again, or, or a Fallout Boy. Emo is always present on social media, shall we say. Um, but it's not so much about that kind of influencer figure which has become so powerful in, in social media, right? The millennial influencer. Whereas the TikTok generation is more about armies. I guess. I mean, let, let let me be very clear. I've got nothing against millennials. I feel quite bad for them because they grew up right around a massive financial crisis. Um, people are always very rude about them. They are uh, probably going to find it very, very hard to ever buy a house. And I, I genuinely feel, feel bad for them. But there are some lines in this article. Can I read you my favourite line? <laughs> They'll spend the whole day fantasising about that fruit or vegetable. My sister grew beetroot and she's really happy about it. I don't really understand it. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is it happens with every generation. Every generation like kind of has to kill the one hmm. the one above it. It's just such a rite of passage. And I, I really remember it when, when I went from being like, Oh, I'm one of the younger people to like, Oh hang on, I'm not. Oh no way and people were like sort of like criticizing Britpop. I was like, What you what? But Britpop You know, like and I, everyone loves Britpop. I was like, No, no, they, they really really don't. And again, remember that when we were we were being laughed at for liking this for getting excited about the Strokes new album. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, 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 wait, we're not even talking about Oasis and Blur. We're talking like two thousand one, it wasn't that long ago. And it's like uh, the Strokes are twenty years old, uh forty year old now. They're all mm, men with kids. <laughs> They're parents. So they, yeah, it's no longer eligibly cool, apparently. So you, you, uh, I mean, I, we were looking up, trying to work out what exactly um, the various generations are. Millennials, also known as Generation Y, although that, that term didn't really stick around. Uh, using the early 1980s as starting birth years uh, and mid-1990s to early 2000s as ending birth years. So hmm. you would fit, fit... I would fit that, yeah. Just, just, just about fit that. And then Generation Z... Um, is, well, the one just after that. And the one just after that, which I discovered, which is what my children are, a Generation Alpha, which I don't even know what they're going to make. They're, they're, one day they're going to be Alpha... Well, yeah, your son's going to be an Alpha male. That kind of scares me. It sounds like super like dictatorship kind of style. It's yeah. just the first letter of the alpha. Greek alphabet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. alpha male, blah, blah, blah. It sounds scary. Like Gen Z, it's super radical anarchist. And then comes Generation Alpha, who is going to like sh shut down Gen Z. I'm scared. Have yeah. you met my son? <laughs> <laughs> no. Does he fit this, this description? Uh, uh, I will ask him. He's certainly quite strong-headed, but he's only five. So he's, uh, he's probably not going to shut down anything yet. Apart from me. So. I mean, do, do you... When you saw these criticisms, um, yeah. did you did you agree with some of them? Yeah, the thing is, it totally fits um, me, my friends, and they are super right. We are super annoying, and most of the time, like they said, yeah, yeah, girl boss, like marketplace feminism, like it's not. We act like we're so deep and we know all this political stuff but it's actually just um, make profiting out of movement like feminism and yeah I'm a girl boss I like to make lots of money and exploit other people <laughs> it's like no, I don't want to be that <laughs> you're just repeating the, the same thing that evil men have <laughs> yeah, done all throughout just with history just cooler slogans <laughs> like yeah I'm a feminist and do you like Harry Potter or is that 
I, I don't, but no, I used to be ashamed of it. And I was like, yeah, Harry Potter. <laughs> um, yes, I'm whatever you tell me. I'm like a Hufflepuff, yes. <laughs> um, but now I'm, I'm like, yes, it was like a political act not to know much about Harry Potter. Ah. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. But just that I didn't <laughs> like to read that much as a kid. <laughs> what about, who, who were you passionate about when you were a teenager? Like in, in culture, in movies and in music? Um, the thing is, um, I was talking this with a friend the other day, like the girly things you could not publicly like because you would be made fun of. Like, like? oh, you're too girl. Uh, that's, I'm not like other girls. I don't like Justin Bieber. But then you would go secretly to your room and listen to Justin Bieber. But you could not say it publicly because people would make fun of you for being too girly and liking the girly things. And now I'm like, why couldn't I like... It was good. Taylor Swift has killer albums and I couldn't say I like them because then it would be too girly. And I, I'm like, who told me I couldn't be girly? I'm a girl. I am girly. I like Taylor Swift. I like Jonas Brothers. I, I love Twilight. It's just such a good saga. And people ah, so Twilight <laughs> is the one. Twilight is your, no? Yeah, I think Twilight would be the one that I... I know I knew I had to be ashamed of it, but I didn't bother hiding it. I was like, yeah, I like Twilight, like Team Edward forever. You need to hang out with Camilla. You know, you're 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 the same. You you have the same references. And so was Disney big in your when you were even smaller? Yeah, yeah. High School Musical, for example, like that was a big thing. Um, yeah. Zac Efron. Yeah, like See, that. I like Zac. Zac Efron is one of my favorite Hollywood superstars ever. He is so talented and and charismatic and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would burn um, a candle for, for <laughs> Zac Efron. But you just mentioned someone who I think is also interesting to just comment on, Justin Bieber. Uh, in light of the... He's received two accusations on, uh, uh, on sexual misconduct. Sexual... Yeah, misconduct, sorry. Uh, which he has been... He, ha he has shown evidence to dis dispel. What did you think of the news when you read it first, being an ex-believer or a believer? Yeah, a secret believer. Secret um, believer. <laughs> I'm not like super surprised, which is sad. Like, um, Hollywood is... I, I don't know I, much about the inside, but I can imagine it's kind of rotten and everything is kind of dark there. So I can imagine like people bringing fans backstage and doing not very consensual stuff uh, and yeah that there's been like another actor as well that has had a sexual assault allegation coming out and I don't know if it's true or not but it's very likely that it could it could be true a thousand percent so. But in the, com the the eternal question of separating art from the artist, when the artist well, is uh, turns yeah. out to be a rotten yeah. person in real life, uh, what's your opinion on that? That's the, like the biggest debate ever. Like I, uh, every day I have a different opinion, but I, it kinda is difficult to separate it completely. But at the same time, you will always find something horrible about the person. Like, now I cannot watch Woody Allen movies. Now I cannot listen to any John Lennon song. Now I cannot, like, do I have anyone left? Please. But it, it's like, I don't know. I maybe draw the line if, and um, when I know about it, maybe stop or 
I don't know, it's, there's not like a, a strict rule that has been useful to me. I think we should probably say uh, Justin Bieber, um, just to be fair, he says that the sexual assault um, accusation is factually impossible, that he, he couldn't have been... Uh, he, he couldn't have been there at the time. Well, what happens is he's managed to prove loads of evidence on Twitter. He, he was quite quick in that. He had uh, plenty of evidence to show that he wasn't at the hotel that the accuser says he was at. He was actually with Selena Gomez on the night of uh, when these accusations have been brought to light. But uh, then there's been a second accuser who's come up and he hasn't responded to those yet. But obviously it's one of those... Uh, in legal situations where I imagine they need to assess everything before making any kind of public statement on Twitter. But it's I, I'm interested in hearing your opinion, Mar, because we've been facing this uh, debate intensively for the last three, four years uh, with, with people from the entertainment and cultural world. It's obviously had a seismic effect on careers and on the industry and on, and on our perceptions. You know, we're just people who want to enjoy the culture and our songs and everything but we're, we're facing this as you say if you look deep inside everyone's cupboards it seems that everyone's got a rat especially if they're powerful and rich and stuff all mm -hmm. kinds of bad behavior ensues hmm. so uh, I'm interested in seeing how yeah your 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 perspective you know if if, if you can offer a, a different take because it's hard for us in the case of you know we, we've had many decades of growing with Michael Jackson's music everywhere you know it's not just something that was of his time it was just eternal the, the it was so awesome or the, the as you say the movies of Woody Allen that have that have spoken up for so many things that don't usually get portrayed in the massive media you know you have all these people who've been creating all these interesting works of art shall we say and entertainment that that have improved us as a as a species and all of a sudden it's like ah but uh, yeah, you've got all these parking tickets. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember like when I was uh, <laughs> when I was young, you'd have Bill Wyman, who was uh, dating uh, someone who was like sixteen, I believe, and it was the lack of outrage around that was quite amazing. Yeah. It was like, all oh, right, well. He's a rock star. Yeah. Ben Wyman, you know, he's dating yeah. Rolling Stones. They have it's, license, you know, that kind of something thought. that it had just come up to like the last three years, like you said. Like we, I know about Woody Allen being married to his daughter for years. Like since I was, since I didn't even watch his films because I was too little. Mm -hmm. But nobody did like a big deal out of it. It was just a thing. Like okay, yeah. And then now we're slowly being more aware of things and what these things mean and that we cannot just um, close our eyes and pretend they're not there and and it's good because then people know they cannot do that maybe if Harvey Weinstein did all of well of the died before 2010 or I don't know when it started mm -hmm. um he would just be another man in Hollywood who just likes a lot of women. Um, but now it's like, no, you cannot. You will go to prison. You will, your career most likely will die. Like um, Woody Allen's last movie was not even on theaters in oh, the United on. States. It's actually been very successful on streaming platforms. Once uh, A rainy day in New York. I must say, uh, Woody Allen has not been um, convicted of any of the accusations or, you know, in, in, 
it's it's a delicate subject and the more you read the more layers there are to it but it's not the same as uh, Harvey Weinstein who is yeah. in prison right now uh, who's been proven guilty or Jeffrey Epstein uh, or any of the other people who've been taken down thanks to the Me Too movement you know Woody Allen's is a is a delicate case but he lost a lot of his fan base or people who watched it, his movies a, yeah. a lot of people are at least are aware of it and mm -hmm. think it's a bad thing and before at least not so much I wanted to ask something about that kind of ties in with this and TikTok. Like, Michael Jackson is very well known for his incredible dance routines, and you would think that his music would be perfect for TikTok. But um, the rise of TikTok coincided with his reputation, mm -hmm. um, very justly, taking, taking a nosedive. Is he popular on there? Do, are they Michael Jackson dancers, I, or is he just not? I haven't seen, like... That I bet there are, but um, I haven't seen any of them go viral. Um, but uh, it's kind of random which kind of songs go viral on TikTok. It doesn't really make that much sense. Like you could have like a very um, small following, and your song can go viral because someone who has a, a large audience on TikTok uses your song, and then your song goes viral, and it's it's just a top one in every chart. Um, so you can be Michael Jackson and no one uses your songs and mm. you can be a no one and then your song goes viral. And that's what a lot of artists are trying to do now, like trying to push their songs to go viral, to make a, yeah. a hit. Oh, so that's the... See, before an artist would have to have... I, I was watching a thing about Huey Lewis and the news. This is very boomer. This is very... This, this <laughs> was, he was very popular in the 80s. Uh, there was a little film called Back to the Future that had a, a very iconic song. The hey, I, I was down with Huey Lewis and the news. Hip to be square. That was... Yeah. <laughs> and that whole segment in American Psycho, that chapter, wow. Uh, when, when Patrick Bateman gives a review on, on, on Huey Lewis and the News. It's a, it's a work of literary art and it was very well recreated in the movie as well by uh, Christian Bale. Um, but, sorry, what Huey, it's funny how Huey Lewis was saying, look, to crack, to make a hit in America at that time, you needed radio play and you needed to get into on MTV, right? Into the video clips. Now it's the same thing, but it's like TikTok. TikTok is the new MTV, which is interesting. Well, interestingly, Justin Bieber, when he released that song, Yummy, Apparently yes. did everything he could to make it a TikTok thing. Like I, I th there was a dance to it. Uh, you might have to refresh my memory. Yeah. That was like it was meant to be. Yeah, this is TikTok gold, and it wasn't. Because no, it wasn't. And he paid um, lots of TikTokers to promote his song, like undercover promote his yeah. song. Like, oh yeah, I'm casually dancing to this song because I want to, not because Justin Bieber paid me. Um, and it didn't because it was a bad song and it didn't resonate no. yeah it's a no, no, come on yummy was a bad song come on yummy was a bad song and people like even if you don't know that much about music you can tell it's not a very good song and it didn't resonate with teenagers <laughs> but it doesn't have take that it's an awful song a pop song does not have has, to be good he has lots of good songs I said that I was an ex-believer but this one was awful like no see I like the fact that it wasn't hit because it, it just shows like you can I think a lot of people think about like young people particularly that oh they'll, they'll, they'll buy anything you know you just put it yeah, like that and, totally and it's just not true because like you can't fake like a, a, a bad song you can't get around it no, Johan, don't uh, I mean listen to it in the background it, you know what I thought I thought it was it, knowing what a strategic 
piece of crap he is. I could see because uh, food is always trending on Instagram and stuff, and you know, food and breakfast and stuff. I thought this is like a song for that moment. Like people, oh look, look at my croissant, my orange juice, my my avocado toast. Ooh, yummy, yummy. Even I even did it. I put yummy on a, on a recipe song. You know, I I think it's gorgeous. It's one. I think it's my song of the summer. You're number one. Yeah, every time I come around, you get it done. Fifty fifty love the way you split it. Hundred racks on me, spin it, babe. Light a match, get lit it, babe. That jet set, watch the sunset, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Rolling eyes back in my head, make my toes curl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got that yummy, yum, that yummy, yum, that yummy, yummy. Yeah, you got that yummy, yum, that yummy, yum, that yummy, yummy. Say the word on my way. Control of myself, I'm compromised. You're incriminating, no disguise, and you ain't never running low on supplies. Fifty fifty, love the way you split it. Hundred racks on me, spin it, babe. Light a match, get lit it, babe. The jet set, watch the sunset, kinda. Yeah, yeah. Rolling eyes back in my head, make my toes curl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got that yummy, yum, that yummy, yum, that yummy, yum. Can you stay flexing on me? Yeah, you got that yummy, yum, that yummy, yum, that yummy, yum. Say the word on my way. Slippers on with a smile on my face. I'm elated that you are my lady. You got the yum 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 yum. You got the yum yum yum. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, you got that yummy yum, the yummy yum, the yummy yummy. Yeah, you got the yummy. The sweet sounds of Phoebe Bridgers, who just released her new album, her latest, and it is amazing. We re- we strongly recommend it. What's the name? What's the title of the album, Ben? Do you, have you got it written down there somewhere? Uh, hang on, let me find I it. I had quick. it somewhere. Ah, I know the. No, it's not Punisher. No, not Punisher. Punisher. Yes, Punisher. Punisher. Someone Punisher. was massively recommending it to you the other day, and okay. I've only just just getting around to it. Sorry. <laughs> well, the reason we're playing it is because we're going to shift our focus now to some of the. 
TV shows we've been watching that happen to deal with um, mental instability or um, or mental illness in some way, some form or other. Um, and uh, this song by Phoebe Bridges could have fit on perfectly on any of the soundtracks. I'd like to talk about what New York Times has called the, sta the saddest story ever told. This Much Is True, starring Mark Ruffalo in a double role playing twins besieged by a life full of tragedy in the adaptation of the novel of the same name, same name written by Wally Lamb in 1998. Um, I've never seen a series so devoted to dragging people down to wallow in a pit. It really is sad, like episode after episode, it's relentlessly despairing. Okay, so I haven't seen it, um, but I've heard the opening scene of I Know This Much Is True. Uh, you see Thomas, one of the main characters in a public library, chopping his own hand off with a knife. That does not scream to me happy watching. Did I mean, what, what compelled you to go on after you'd seen him? Is it, is it really disturbing? It, it, no, no. It, it, well, what compelled me was Mark Ruffalo. In a double in a double role, playing twins, so he's and and and, and with very different layers, uh, which is very inter interesting to watch. You know, he's he's such an incredible actor. Uh, he's capable of doing really sensitive mumblecore films. Uh, you know, indie characters, and then he's capable of playing the Hulk in the biggest blockbusters ever. And he's always bringing this elegance and this panache to it. Um, but. At first, I was a little, you know, after the first episode, I'm like, woof, I hope things lighten up, you know, because this is really bleak the way it starts off. But then the second episode gets even bleaker. And then the third, and I was asking my girlfriend, like, do we really want to watch this? I mean, on a month, because they would, they would premiere a new episode every Monday. It's not exactly the Larry David, like, because, you know, Larry David would premiere a, a new episode every Monday. And it's like, it wasn't the same experience, so we say, to start the week. But there's such a quality to it. It really does look like a cinema rather than a TV show. It's got uh, an incredible photographic quality. All the actors in it are, are proper quality. Yeah, you've got Melissa Leo, who seems to appear, be appearing everywhere. She's a wonderful character actress. She usually plays the kind of bitter or 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 women who've had to endure a harsh life. You know, she's really she really stands out in those kind of roles, and she brings uh, that usual kind of. Um, depth shall we say to a, a major character who's not in every episode but she's a key character she plays the mother of the twins who deals with her own tragedies Juliet Lewis appears in a couple of episodes uh, only a, only a couple but she leaves a very memorable mark and uh, my standing ovation goes as well to Rosie O'Donnell who manages to bring in a perfect balance in her character to 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 ground uh, Mark one of Mark Ruffalo's characters shall we say who, who keeps going through so much has so much responsibility, shall we say, that it's great to see how her character sort of brings him down, you know, to make sure that, hey, don't worry, you're dealing with a lot on your plate. I'm going to help you in this, in this, in this, uh, in this life, shall we say. Johan, you're obviously uh, an actor of film and TV. Um, what did, I've heard uh, Ruffo's performance compared to Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers, that good. Uh, where basically he plays yes. uh, two twins who have very different kind of characteristics, right? Yes. And he manages to make the two twins seem utterly distinct. Totally. Even on, you don't even notice that there are uh, digital effects. It's 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 just so convincing. You don't have that sort of oh no, that, that's clever. You know, one. 
first of all, physically, he lost 20 pounds to play um, Dominic, and he then gained 20 over his usual weight to play Thomas. So I'm just, I need to look into the production of the series. I mean, how did they do it? Did they have to wait? however long it takes to gain weight even though they use uh, special dietists and stuff to do the to speed up these processes when when actors do these things uh still you know it wasn't like okay the next day the following day we're going to go back to the diner and shoot the diner scene no no they had to wait uh, weeks i imagine or months i don't know and this is very interesting so i read someone say that this series is poorly timed no one wants to see all of this misery during a pandemic do you agree well what i'm guessing is Whoever pitched this in the HBO offices to get it financed was, let's make a show so sad it'll make people happy with their own current misery. And I think that's the, that's the effect it had. Because it's like, wow, you know, I thought my life is bad. Look at, look at, even though this is fiction, it's not even, it, it has the, the, the visuals of based on a true story. It looks like this is actually a true story, but no, no, it's all, it's all fiction. It's all... It's all a novel. It's interesting you say that because sometimes I do like to watch series where things are going really, really, really bad. Like Ozark, we were yeah. talking about it earlier. I like, I like to watch that sometimes because I'm like, oh yeah, I might be having this work problem, but at least I've not got a South American drug cartel on my back. And you're like, oh, actually, well, things are all right, you know. It kind of gives me that, that perspective. So it's that kind of vibe you got from, from this series. Yeah, but in, at least in other series, you have a little bit of comic relief or even something like Breaking Bad. You know, the, the, the action was so spectacular and the tension and all those situations, which were like, it's a common man facing horrible criminal situations, which you think, oh, this I'm definitely never going to consider going into meth as a, as a career choice, you know, because you realize that, that there's a lot of peril in, in, in choosing the life of crime, not just the stuff you see on the streets. You know, I don't know. Shows are very good at pointing out, you know, why it's important to stay on the, on the right path of life. <laughs> but with this one, you know, this is a person dealing with uh, something that we all deal with, which is taking responsibility of your loved ones of your family of 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 of, of people who in, in inevitably get sick in this case we're dealing with a twin brother who's a paranoid schizophrenic and it's and it just it, it's it's an incredible setup to see how dominic um it, um, dodges the landmines that are constantly you know he's having to deal with all this sorrow and all these situations and uh, he's obviously this takes a toll on his own life, which would happen to any of us if we were facing that kind of adversity. And um, it's it's refreshing to see how, as harsh as it gets, with love and with care and with and 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 and, and also accepting the help of others, you're able to pull through. And it does offer a glimmer of light towards the end. I wouldn't call it a happy ending, but it does offer uh, a glimmer of light that is very rewarding as a spectator to watch. Shall we have a little bit of a listen to Phoebe Bridges? Yeah, go for it. Okay.
that was Phoebe Bridges with Saviour Complex, uh, a song that reminds Johan of I Know This Much Is True. And I wanted to speak about my uh, current televisual crush, uh, which it similarly deals with kind of um, memory uh, and trauma, which is The Sinner. Um, basically, The Sinner, it was uh, a 2017, it was meant to be an eight-part miniseries uh, starring Jessica Biel. And what happens is basically, you see her in the first episode, uh, she kills someone at a beach and for and you can't work out why even she doesn't work, know why and so basically it all goes back into like why she did this she has various kind of regression there, there's um, Bill Pullman as a detective who basically believes there must be a, a wider reason behind this and they eventually find out it's all to do with like tragic events that happened in her life and how she remembers them and how that memory finally comes out of her and that's basically why um, she uh, stabbed this person on the beach Um but it did so well, they made a second series out of it, which uh, there's a young man uh, called Julian, who you see him basically in the first episode poisoning a couple who you, you think might be his parents, you don't quite know. Um, and again, you have to find out why. And the third season was just released uh, last Friday, and it sort of goes back to similar things. Basically, it starts off with a fatal car accident in upstate New York. And uh, this Detective Ambrose basically goes there and he, he thinks there's something not quite right. And so basically he's like, okay, th this isn't a car accident. Um, this is something more. And you go into, into that. And it all deals with basically um, the lead, possibly lead character who's called, who's called Jamie. Um, why he is how he is. Um, what his involvement was, was with his car accident, the, these very strong things that have happened uh, to him in his past. And one of the reasons I really love um, this program is because apparently the, the way in which it sort of reconstructs memory is very, is very accurate. Uh, I, I read um, a very good article on Medium, which is basically saying uh, the cinema gets so many things right about the misleading nature of human memory. You know, the way we think like memories are sort of just there in our brains. And, you know, if someone can't then remember something, it's very suspicious. But what it actually says is, no, um, every time we think of something, we have to reconstruct the memory and different things can lead us down, down there. It's absolutely, um, absolutely fascinating. I would very much recommend it. And this Kevin Morby song that we're listening to, Come With Me Now, uh, Come To Me Now, excuse me, plays a very uh, interesting role uh, in the second episode. Uh, episode of this new season uh, I can't exactly tell you why without spoiling it but when you that like frankly this song will either be ruined or enhanced forever let's just listen to a bit more Kevin Morby this ugly little town I can't wait for the moon to shine she's my friend always been you can see it in my eyes that I love yeah do Kevin Morby, who I'd put my hand in the fire saying that 
he's probably influenced by the author of our album of this week, Mr. Croak Monsieur, Bob Dylan. Oh, very <laughs> Sorry, good. I couldn't help it. It just sounded, no, he's got, he's developed somewhat of a croak in the last decade. Or a growl. A growl. It's closer to the croak, you know, sometimes it's like ribbit but um but please no i didn't mean to offend the great the great master bob dylan i must say i've always felt my experience of bob dylan's legacy is it's always been a bit passed down a hand-me-down phenomenon you know i I wasn't alive in the 60s or the 70s when he had his 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 incredible cultural relevance and how he 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 wrote about the things that were happening the vietnam war civil unrest uh, the civil rights movement etc uh, my experience of Bob Dylan was uh, this person who was revered by every music journalist who happened to be of uh, of a similar sex and of a similar position, shall we say. It was always the same. So, um, but having said that, I have listened to this album and I, and I think it's incredibly respectful that this man is still recording music and doing what he does best. So the new album is called Rough and Rowdy Ways. And people have been absolutely losing their minds over it. It's been getting five-star reviews, uh, 10 out of 10s all over the place. Uh, People are comparing it to Leonard Cohen's last album. You made a very interesting comparison to David Bowie's uh, Black Star. Um, And it's it's funny. Like I I asked my dad, do you want to know what my dad said about it? Mm -hmm. He said, uh, I like the growly Dylan, but it's not as good as Maggie's form. So there, there we go. That's like the definitive uh, view from my dad. Mark, you, you're um, a Bob Dylan fan-ish? Um, I know about him. Like, I've listened to at least his most popular songs. Like, there was a time in my life that if I wanted, I wanted to be portrayed as an intellectual and I needed to know, to know and listen to Bob Dylan, so I pretended to really, really like him. I like him. I'm I'm not as much of a fan as I used to pretend, but I I I do like him not as much as to know that he had an album coming out today, one of um, these days. Um, but yeah, I, I I do see what makes him like such a um, intergenerational um, artist. Like uh, most of my friends listen to him sometimes, and your generation listens to him, even though he's not even. Um, the same um, age. <laughs> no, I mean like. No, quite much. Like, I know we're old, but good lord. I mean, like he's like your parents' age, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so no, he's not. He's older, isn't he? D- Dylan. He's seventy-nine. Seventy-nine. Oh, I thought he was in the eighties already. Okay. I think this is a great. This album is a mm, fu to the ageists. Ageism is very present in, in, in millennial land, shall we say. Like everything that's old is uh, as if we were all CEOs driving up real estate prices and blackening oceans with oil or clogging up the nostrils of whales and turtles with our one-use plastic containers. Man, I don't even have a driver's license. Don't lug me into the, the <laughs> evil pit. Me neither. Exactly. You know, we're, we're, we're not all the bad guys, useless. all us adults. <laughs> We're just what? We're useless. We're just useless, exactly. <laughs> We're even worse. We're Generation Next. <laughs> um, but, you know, this it's like, first of all, I think this is an album that will be mainly appreciated by people of a certain age. I don't think it's an album that might strike a chord with uh, younger audiences, even if you're if you're a young person with Anamoya, no? getting into the old Americana or old blues or even getting into Dylan when he was young. I can understand, like, Mar 
listening to Blonde and Blonde and maybe relating to it way more than with this album. But this album is a triumph. And it's the sound, my comparison to Blackstar, and it's something that makes me a little bit nervous to say is, uh, it's, it feels a little bit like a swan song, the whole album, especially um, Murder Most Foul, his longest recorded song to date. It clocks in at 16.50, uh, 1655. Uh, 16 minutes 55 So you said seconds. this is your favourite song off the album, Murder Most Foul. It's the one I possibly like least or are least inclined to listen to because I, it's sort of, I I got it and it goes on for a very long time and I enjoyed mm. it. Don't don't get me wrong, but I, there was a point where I was like, okay, we're eight minutes in, is it going to do anything else? And no. And I think you have to sort of enjoy it for that. You have to take it on it on its own on terms. Its own. But I, I confess, I was sort of looking at my watch a bit when it came out. Why did you like it so much? Because I, I, I just imagine him... Uh, getting his incredibly talented musicians together and, and and I'm imagining the kind of, you know me, I like to speak to the scenario. I'm imagining his private studio in some ranch in the middle of God knows where, up, upstate New York or I don't know where he lives. And uh, and them just like, look, let's just play, let's just set a jam, let's just set a tone. And it feels like stream of consciousness. And he's talking about Altamont. You know, he's been a witness to some of the greatest moments in the in the last 50 years in, in in history you know he's been everywhere he's seen it firsthand and it's him just sort of uh, remembering remembering and it's basically what a person of his age has every right to do you know reminisce look back on his career on his life and the way it's affected so many millions of people who have also lived through those periods and have read it in the newspapers and it's just sort of listening to this man on his uh, yeah having his reflection no uh, it's something very dignified. I hope I get a chance to do something like that. Maybe not musically, but you know, just sit in a lounge and even if I'm on my own and, ha- and oh, with my collaborators, going on for 17 minutes, just sort of rehashing. I don't know. It's, that's what I enjoyed about it. I thought, what a what a lovely way to 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 spend your almost 80s. All right. So I, do you know what? I'm, we're going to have to give it a mark out of 10. But Mark, you haven't listened to it. Uh, are you going to? <laughs> I am. I am intrigued by the 16-minute song now. Like, you must be really talented to I, pull out a 16-minute song. Um, uh, what I like about it is it's not really a song. It, yeah. It's more like a jam. Uh, uh, as I say, a stream of consciousness. It's he like, does the talking part. Then, yeah. yeah, it's almost like a spoken word. You know, I, I, you know me, Ben, I like long moments of recorded, something recorded where there's music, there's thought. You know, it's like those African jams, those African blues records that some of them go on for 15 minutes and it's just a loop and stuff, and it helps you get lost in it. You know? Sit back and sort of, oh yeah, get lost into this old guy croaking away, sort of talking about Ultimate. Well, you're resolutely refusing to give it an, uh, a, a mark, so, uh, and we're going to have to go. Uh, all right, I'll give it. I'll, I'll give it a seven. What? All right. The album. The album itself a seven because I can't withstand the whole thing. I'm I'm happy with just Murder Most Foul as a, as an EP or a single release. And that is us. I think. Mar, thank you so much for coming along. Thanks for inviting Come me. Come back. With your young energy. <laughs> exactly. In this mad world. <laughs> it was a matter of timing, and the timing was right. You got unpaid debts, we've come to collect We're gonna kill you with hatred without any respect We'll mock you and shock you and we'll put it in your face We've already got someone here to take your place
out the brains of the king Thousands were watching, no one saw a thing